Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Arts Insider podcast. This week, me and my co-host, Mark, sat down over Zoom to talk with Josette Bushelmingo, the principal of the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Previously the head of acting at the Stockholm University of Arts in Sweden, Josette is an award-winning actor and director whose career has included performances with the Royal Shakespeare Company, the National Theatre and the Manchester Royal Exchange. She was nominated for an Olivier Award for Best Actress in a Musical for her role as Rafiki in the West End production of The Lion King, and she starred in the internationally acclaimed production Nina, a story about me and Nina Simone. As a director, Josette was the founder and artistic director of Push, a black-led theatre festival with the Young Vic Theatre. Through her work with Push, she was awarded an Order of the British Empire for services to the arts, as well as a Judy Kramer Award for Innovation and the South Bank Cultural Diversity Award. As both a director and teacher, Josette travels internationally, giving lectures and workshops in the creation of sign language theatre, cultural diversity challenges and inclusion. And she's taught in Stockholm, at Lambda, at the London College of Fashion, and New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, amongst other institutions. We sat down with Josette over Zoom to discuss the value and impact of the arts on our education systems and on our communities as a whole. And it was a joy to chat to her about what the future might look like for theatre makers. So, here's our interview. We hope you enjoy it. This is the Arts Insider Podcast. Well, Josette, thank you for joining us today on the Arts Insider Podcast. It's really quite a quite a joy to have you with us. I am really fortunate, I always feel, to call you my principal when talking about my time currently at drama school at what we will know as central but others may recognize more formally as the royal central school of speech and drama and i suppose for those who might be listening who aren't really aware of who you are yet and i'm sure will over the course of this interview would you mind just painting us a bit of a picture of the journey that you went on that has led to where you are now in the principal's chair at central well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. That's the first thing. So my journey is that I was born in the East End of London, two parents that came from South America, Guyana. I'm daughter number two of four. Um, my mother was a nurse. My father was a bus driver. Um, and when I look back, uh, even now, I realized that they already had something creative in them, whether it was my uh, eldest sister that could actually paint by sight. So she had a memory that could record anything to my mother singing church songs, slightly out of tune in the kitchen, uh, all the way through till, uh, yeah, lots of other things that I, I realized were already in my family. Um, my first, I suppose, exposure to the arts was at primary school, and I've been told that I did my first production, quote, uh, which was a stage adaptation of The Owl and the Pussycat. Um, I've been back to my school, which is Queen Primary School uh, there, and there I, I found teachers, um, 
colleagues that saw me, and I'm never quite sure what that means, but I know that that I meant that they saw all the talent and the mischief and the uh, possibilities in me at that time. So I went to Queen Primary. Uh, at the same, after that, I went to Lister Comprehensive, and there I really stepped into athletics and sport. And that remains with me, whether it's through metaphor or symbol, teamwork, stamina, losing, winning, uh, gathering together, looking each other in the eye. And it wasn't just about winning. It was about actually racing against yourself. And I moved from track, 100 metres, to relay. They always put the 100 metres person at the end of the relay. Obviously, we have to make up the time. <laughs> and then uh, I moved on to a field event, which was um, shot and discus. Uh, and again, uh, I realized being able to reflect on that and what it taught me was really the sense of a community, the sense of team, the sense of the group. Uh, after that, I got a place at Breton University, which is no longer now, um, but I got a BA there, a place to study um, theater practice. At the same time, however, I was attending Barking College of Technology, Dagen and Rumford. It's a huge shout out to them uh, as I have a studio named after me. Uh, in my own place and there I did the performing arts and to just give an era for everybody I was there at the time of fame I should leave that to everyone's imagination but yes the leotard was there yes I was on the table and yeah, fame costs and all of that but uh, at the end of that as I say I got uh, a place at Breton University and in fact a theatre company that was then based in Liverpool called Caboodle Theatre Exchange came to my uh, college and in those days when arts organizations could be resident, you know, for a week at a time. And remember, this is exactly the same thing that happened at primary school. An arts company were resident. That's how I got to stage The Owl and the Pussycat. But um, Caboodle, uh, that were Grotowski trained, European trained, Buffon, clowning, street theater, huge international remit, asked me at the end of my week's workshop with them if I would like to join their company. Now, being an ex-athlete, being physical and stamina and all of that, um, I had a choice. Would I go to university or would I <laughs> run away with the circus? And I ran away with the circus and it's landed me here. Wow. That's it. Wow. Amazing, actually, Josette, because uh, Joe and I, I make fun of Joe a little bit. I shouldn't say this, but I make fun of him a lot because he's not a sportsman. And I no, I was also the anchor leg of the relay. So that, that was something I've just learned from you. So I wanted to, wanted the thing I was going to ask you is for, for 20 years now, I've been working in, in what I would call grassroots youth theatre uh, in the heart of uh, Scalmersdale's community. So... And like so many people in my position, I've worked really, really hard to get, um, the, the phrase I use is to try and get the arts at the top table uh, when we talk about education. So I've done a lot of work within schools and I've always found that the arts sometimes is seen as the, uh, seen as a bit of a luxury subject, something that sits, uh, you know, alongside um things that sort of come in and then go out or things that we'll do if we've got time. And my thing is, is I've always said that the arts is, is much more than, than that. And, and in, not to say that it's more important than, you know, your, your academic subjects, but certainly as important as those academic subjects. Um, and I just wanted, obviously why you're, you're on as well is to ask you why, this is quite a broad question, so forgive me, but why is the art so important in the education of our children? 
the arts are important. I think, first of all, the title of the arts is, uh, is um, distracting because people think of museums and they think of musicals, et cetera, et cetera. But the impact of a creative life is everything. Everything is creative. And that is the lack of voice that I believe has happened or the inarticulation for us working in the arts sector, whether we're educators, teachers, students or participants. Actually, this is about the absolute DNA of who we are. Somebody actually said to me, if we shut down every creative impulse, every museum, every art school, every photographic gallery, every workshop, every youth school, every work with our neurodivergent community that are using some of their latest technologies of intellect and creativity to expand the brilliance of our neurodivergent community. We shut all of that down. Two thirds of our working lives would not exist. Every single thing that we are interacting with is from creative impulse. The idea that STEM, science, technology, all of this is from calculations and not done because there's a mathematic brain. It is a creative impulse. So in that sense, I think the arts is uh, a distraction. I use it myself, so I don't mean it like that. But your questions really resonated with me, really made me think about it. The arts are important at every single level because of the way that it enhances and solidifies who we are as people. It is beyond just standing on stage and singing, it always was. No matter which part of the world you go to, whether it's from the continent that I am from, which is the African continent, all the way through to our Middle East and so on and so forth, no matter where you go, the arts has been sent. You can go as far up to the Shetland, as far down to the South, and you will find the artistic, creative and arts practice built in to the culture. So the thing is not so much about justifying why it's important, but articulating its interface. And this is one of the things I think is important. So the work that you're doing and so many organizations, um, and also I, I like the word grassroots. I'm always interested in the words and dissecting them. What do they mean? Grass comes back. No matter how hard you try to push it down, it keeps sprouting up again the soil within which the grass is in, so that it can be fertile and grown. I'm using very existential or abstract ideas, but the bottom line is, is that the arts, or however you define it, changes who you will be. It changes your identity, your culture, your linguistic, whether it's sign language or any other language. It defines who you are. So the idea that it's a luxury is not true. The idea that it's somehow only for those who can afford it, that is a higher education, political and policy making attitude that has come over the last 10 to 15 years. And we see that with the lack of funding, we see that with the continual legislative burden that's coming as they try to check off who we are, because we also know really is that in its historical sense, we as creative, as artists, as educators, we are the power base. We are the ones that speak truth. We are the ones that empower those young people's lives so they can define who they are. They can, and that for me is also why I think we can have, we have to relook really at how we define it. Um, and I was just in, I've done nine keynotes this year and the questions are the same. How can we convince people that the arts are vital? And this is whether it's, I'm looking at my notice board now, Western Australia, University in Guadeloupe. The same questions, 
And I think one of the things you, you kind of touched on there, what I get asked a lot by parents um, and they don't want to define the outcome by how many kids from your school have gone to drama school or how many of them go on to perform professionally or whatever. And I, I always try to, even though we're using the arts as a vehicle, it, it's never an outcome that, that I like to measure. I, I always say to parents, look, you know, that, that is, that is great. And it's a cherry on the cake. It's, it's lovely if it happens, but I'm not using this school to, to create better performers. I'm, I'm here to use the, the arts as a vehicle to create better people. Why not? And, and that, that our, our, um, our motto that we, we use is, is be your best you. The whole thing is, can you be a better version of yourself and use the arts as I, as I have used sport in, in the way that you put to do that. What is your take on that, Josette? Does that resonate with you? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I totally resonate. And I think anyone listening will resonate. The idea that you could be in a place, in a space where you can find out who that better you is. I mean, please. Yes, please. There's not a single thing that you've said that I would disagree with, not because you're preaching to the converted, because I see day after day finding and seeing in my own institution people becoming their best selves. I say we have... Correct me, Joe, but I think we're hitting around about 1,000 students, maybe 1,000 1,200 students, up to 600 academic staff, including visiting lecturers, visiting professionals and permanent staff, and just under 100 short courses. If out of all of that, people leave our spaces knowing who they are so that they have agency in the world to make this place a better place and to ask and deal with the difficult questions job done. But if they go into science, into dementia care, if they work with and become better friends, parents, guardians, partners, if they go out and turn uh, work harder for our sustainable practices, if our neurodivergent or our deaf communities are enriched by what we do, and this is something else that I think is very, very important, is that the work that we do doesn't just stay with the people who we interact with. It goes back to families, cousins, parents, grandparents, this goes right back through our whole society. And this puts a pressure on the institutions that we are in, on the spaces that we hold. But if we can do that, then there is huge possibilities for who we are. So I am actually supporting that just from this side. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. And, and you said something in your, your uh, whether it was one of your keynotes, I don't know, but I was watching this uh, speech that you were given in Stockholm, I think it was. You, you said something which really, I found really interesting, which was something like, uh, we must help our children to think philosophically. What, what do you mean by that, Josette? Just explain what, what you mean by help our children to think philosophically. I believe that the arts allow us to answer some of the most fundamental questions of our existence. From a spiritual level, is there a God? Is there not a God? Who am I and what is this body? What does it mean to truly live? What does it mean to love and have family? What is the difference between revenge and justice? All of these things bind us no matter where we are on this very, very tiny planet. The idea that philosophy, uh, someone even going to the area of stoicism, uh, which is also a complete misunderstanding. To be stoic doesn't mean that you just sort of sit there and take it. But what it does do is it allows you to step deeper into yourself, to steady yourself. If you can't affect it, don't let it affect you. That is a form of philosophy. What is in my control and what isn't? 
What are my boundaries? Now, all these, these are not existential questions. These are everyday, 24-hour questions. I think at a very young age, we can draw on ourselves and our innate natural skills, no matter who we are, whether it's, and it's, whether it's through maths, whether it's through arts or dance, to ask those fundamental, why do we need to calculate? Why do we need to add up? But not only that as well, how do we treat other people? I speak here a lot at the institution, particularly with my staff, and then I've got my big student meeting catch-up where I'm saying, I can't write a policy for kindness. I can't write a policy for respect. I can't talk about trust or resetting or repairing. Well, repairing is an interesting word because that means taking the old stuff and putting it together with something new. That's different for me. I can only place around my staff and my students structures, pathways, and guidance so that we can celebrate and we can also accept consequence. When it comes to philosophy and thinking deeply, I can't do a policy for that. And the arts is one of the places that we can start to create places and spaces to think about it. And so my work, which is the simplest one, is to make myself available to my students. I have a student sitting in front of me. You can tell me if I'm talking rubbish and I don't do that, but I do. And, I, and pe people warned me, you know, keep at arm's length, you know, keep them, keep them where, said I. Why? What is it that I'm supposed to be afraid of? Because at the end of the day, the thing that binds us philosophically is that we are all trying to do the best that we can. We know that the arts is the powerhouse of which can define who we are. And together, because actually, once people have graduated, they're my colleagues. They're my colleagues, my students. They know as much as I do and can meet us halfway. I mean, this is what I mean about philosophy. The thinking about our existence embedded in our practices, that they are the centre of what we do. And that's also part of the work I'm doing here, which is uh, recentering central. And that means placing research, knowledge exchange and scholarship, thinking, our ethics at the centre of who we are. And that can be from the summer school all the way through to emeritus, which is the final graduation. So that's my answer to it. Uh, and ironically, we're doing it every day. So much of what you said, Joe, you were not me and you were Bob nodding like nodding <laughs> dogs here, if you've seen it, because we discuss stoicism so often uh, here. And, and one of the things that one of the parents said to me, you give these kids an opportunity to, to succeed. And I said, you know, the most important thing that we do is we give them an opportunity to lose. That seemed like a mad thing, but it was like... We we create this environment where they we can audition and they can they can fail. What we mean is, you know, we and we talk about stoicism and, and about about yeah, what does that mean and how how we can see it as an opportunity to improve, an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to take feedback. And so much of what we do, I think, is it's more important to keep creating that opportunity and telling young people that it's okay to to not get everything that you want. Um, you, you know, it, that's that's part of life and that's important. Um, Absolutely. You know, and I, it, what you were saying was like, we, yeah, we were both nodding away there. We were. Sorry, Joe, you had a No, question. that's okay. I think we were nodding away. And, and when we <laughs> when you were talking, Josette, it really made me think about, I suppose, my journey that has led our paths to crossing, I suppose, to lead me to Central and to paint a little bit of that picture very briefly and very broadly 
prior to any engagement in the work of the Art Centre or at Central, um, whilst in the middle of, of high school, I, I was really not engaged in the arts. The school that I was in, although a wonderful school, had really encouraged me because I was um, what would have been considered very academically successful to only pursue the sciences. Mm-hmm. And it certainly, I think, to a 14-year-old being told, plan your life, decide now what career you're going to take, which is mind-boggling looking back, but, you know, it was certainly a narrative was painted that academic success means you should pursue only the sciences. And then fortunately, uh, similar to kind of how you started your story, I'd seen I'd worked with a, a teacher in the school who really saw me. And mm-hmm. as a result, I was involved in one of her school productions. This led me to be here at the Arts Centre. And what I would fundamentally testify to is I wouldn't now be at Central without that bridge in between, without that connection to get me from someone who felt as though the arts didn't have a place in my life, which looking back just baffles me to saying my life, it cannot exist without an exposure to creativity and the arts is, is connection with a community, uh, a community project, a community and youth theatre. But what we all seemed in this conversation to be very aware of is it is challenging times for institute for organizations that are working in a grassroots sort of setting, in a community setting with communities that are underrepresented in the arts. One of our biggest catchments of young people are from an area with some of the UK's highest levels of socioeconomic deprivation. I suppose my question to you is, in a similar way, I find that I am at Central as a result of being involved in a community like the, a community organisation like this. It's being it's becoming harder and harder for these sorts of community organisations to exist. How do you feel that that might impact on institutions like Central, who are continuously seeking out the next generation of performers, theatre makers, young creatives? It was interesting because I, I spoke to uh, my good colleague here at, uh, and I always go for the opposite mm. because I think that the first thing is to say that it's going to challenge central or it's going to make it harder for us. I'm speaking with you two. It's not that hard. The idea that it might be a challenge is because we are working in isolation instead of actually saying, after this, after this podcast, shall we talk about how we should work together? And that, if that happened more, that question wouldn't exist. We have to also take a bigger political situation in terms of what's been happening for the arts. I was in Stockholm, head of Stockholm University of the Arts, uh, before I took this job. And then prior to that, I was the head of the National Deaf Theatre, as in sign language, theatre in Stockholm. What I am finding is the polarisation between us within the arts sector. There's a hierarchy of, you know, grassroots versus what, I ask myself. Mm. I believe that there is, um, this is the absolute time that the arts should be able to flex, respond to the times that we live in. We talk about challenging times. The times have always been challenging. We need to define what those challenges are, because if it's about communication, then us three after this need to get together and start talking, putting it together and working. And that's why I came with even our pre-discussion, which is that we keep looking elsewhere for some kind of solution. And the solution is right within us. 
If we log on to that, we are untouchable. I know we are. Stake my career on it, put my life down on that. Being, of course, at a mature age, I can do that now. I see it. I come back to the United Kingdom after 20 years. And for me, it is a richer, tougher, more complex society than I could have imagined. The challenges are we listen to the government in terms of their continued dismantling and disrespect to the arts. The challenge is actually us listening and believing when they say that it's only the musicals in the West End, which are extraordinary, but they're only part of the picture. That is the biggest obstacle, I believe. Money, resources, we've never had money, we've never had resources. That cannot be the foundation if we think philosophically on what we do, because if it is, then it's challenging times for us all. I believe what we have to do is a little bit of what you said at the beginning is to go back to our grassroots, our resonance, our philosophy that binds us together as people, no matter where we are, and link into that. The next answer to that is also the partnerships, the associations. You might not agree with me or you might not agree with Central, but what we do have in common is we know the arts changes people's lives. That is our starting point. That's where our power can be gained and increased. And if you put that together with all of the organizations, no matter where they are, the tiniest drama school that keeps going, the youth one that's still being funded by the parents because there's no no matter where they are, our power and possibilities for change are huge. And it's just about linking into that. So anybody listening, reach out to me. You know what I'm saying? On that, you talk about funding there. And again, that's probably a whole a whole you know bigger rabbit hole to go down at some stage but i'm interested about this thing around hierarchy that you spoke about this is this has been my yeah definitely one of the challenges that i i have faced is so we've got a situation at the moment where in scalmersdale there is there is no theater per se apart from the theaters that exist within the high schools and the college Mm -hmm. and we we over the years good relationships with those schools have have use those those venues now the college has a has a fantastic space and for me uh, we talked to the college in in broader detail around it it can what what a community theater is and what it could be this is not just a place where people sit uh and, and watch a play this is a this is so much more than that <laughs> and i was in a conversation with the college around this where one of the things he was saying was you know, for them, it's like, yeah, they, 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 they're pursuing a sort of academic goals, things that's being set by government, things that are, we need you to do this. And one of the things that they, that's not on that list is having a, a, a venue that is full of, of culturally rich experiences from arts and music and poetry and all this sort of stuff. So, and I, and then I went, I was saying to Joe, I've just come back from, uh, the theatre by the lake in Keswick. I don't know if you've, you've ever been up there in the Lake District. And it, it was this kind of gorgeous theatre just in the heart of this kind of community that was so vibrant with all sorts of things, new work coming, coming and going. I know you've done work with the Unity. You've done, you, you met something on your bio around the Royal Exchange. The, these these theatres that that just kind of sit in the heart of these communities and and not, are not the the luxury, but more the the actual sort of beaten heart of these things. What what is the importance, in your opinion, of of having a, a community theatre space? 
Well, I think there's a couple of things. So first of all, I know Keswick very well. I'm in fact going to meet the artistic director, Conrad. So I will continue the discussion with them. I know Keswick very well. Um, unfortunately, it was actually at the time I was touring my own show and I was very unwell. But I, I remember Keswick and the theatre. Brilliant. I mean, it was just, and you're absolutely right. And I think your philosophical idea behind it is heartbeat. If you don't connect with your, com with your community, that heart will stop. The students won't come. Uh-huh. I believe that the conversations that we can encourage with our local institutions like universities also have to be done through uh, example. So one of the first things is bringing people to places of example, because it's hard to see sometimes. It's hard to see it. That was one of the things I've been able to do in terms of inviting people into Central with all this craziness, right, Joe? It's crazy place. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. I'm still walking into cupboards at this point. But, um, <laughs> I think a concrete example, a period of time to test. This is always useful. Let's try it for a year. And at the end of it, if it hasn't walked, we'll walk away. I think the idea that... Um, all places where knowledge is gathered and students, no matter where they are on the intersection that recognizes all the communities, means that we are interconnected with each other. A lot of the time these spaces are about eating and meeting. It's a, a place where people can find refuge. It's a place where people can actually spark new ideas. Businesses are started. It's a place actually, and this sounds really kind of rubbish, People can come in and go, I had never thought of coming to study here. Mm. But if this is the kind of place I'm walking into and this is the way they're interacting with the community, this could be my place. Whether that's I'm going to, oh, wow, this is the local place where I'm studying yeah, science, technology. But they've got an arts program. They've got people walking through. They've got political and philosophical discussions. It means I can chill out. I can go and meet other people. That's why. Now, that's not to say that the institution without that isn't valuable, important, but you will you will pump on your own. You will you will try to be sustaining yourself on your own, and there's no need for it. And sometimes this isn't about the financial exchange. This is the moral and ethical, philosophical exchange. Let's try it. The choice of not trying it means we've got a lot more to lose. The more isolated we are from each other, the harder it will be. Yes, of course, you say there's a focus on, we'll say, the STEM. All of the people that I've spoken to via Central are confused as to why that separation is happening. Most of the professors and teachers from associated universities don't understand why they keep separating us. STEAM instead of STEM. The A represents the arts. Why are they doing this to us? That is because they think that the future is only those things. But without the A, it will not happen. Mm -hmm. It just won't. We are not um, only that. So in answer to your question, try it. Give example. Give evaluation. Put those young people, those people, at the centre of the discourse. And also, this is what I call, um, I really am excited by, is unusual collaborations. So, for example, we have... I'm interested in talking to a football team about being an associate organization with Central. Now, some people say, what the heck? First, I've got to choose the right football team, right? I will not get into any controversy here. <laughs> um, why would you want to do sport? I said, well, you know, it's quite obvious. 
but also we'll be looking at one of the science universities, veterinary surgeons. People go, what the heck? Why would you? I said, exactly. Because in that meeting point is going to be the beginning and the combustion of creativity and ideas, of curiosity, of um, synergies, of possibilities. Um, we're also looking at work in Shetland. People are like, why Shetland? I said, exactly. Think about it. Why not? Imagine the world from that perspective. Imagine the work they're doing on sustainable practice. Just think about it for a second. Unusual collaborations is also a really exciting way that when people go, I'm not really sure about this yet, but what if we did? If we just tried it, six months, six months, and then we're out of here. We're out of here. I detect after six months, my experience over my limited career is that people usually stay. You might find other ways of continuing. It might not be that cultural hub that you're looking at, but you might affect programming, guest speakers, uh, traineeships and placements, PhDs. All of this could be impacted. And I think it's really then rethinking about what those relationships are. What is that heart? Is it just about the gathering of people or is it about the gathering of thought? Josette, I suppose off the back of that, which is such a joy to hear because it, it in, inspires me when I think about life after Central and A, how, how my life after Central can still connect with my identity in Central and my, my mm, mm. time there. But also it makes me think about that time as, you know, going into, I uh, use air quotes, the industry, um, our theatre making industry, whatever that may look like to whoever's going into it. And I think about the people like me in my, in my position who are stepping into that world mm. or for the first time or at the early stages of our career. And it makes me think about the challenges that inevitably we will face as young creatives or fledgling creatives in an industry that is riddled with barriers and roadblocks and challenges. My question to you, I suppose, would be, what would you say to a young or a, an early stages creative like myself or anyone in my position? about how to prepare yourself for the challenges that are ahead? Um, okay, well, I think, again, I was focusing on the words and I like that it shifted as you were sort of forming the question. Um, ideally, someone is leaving the space where they have been to enter into life. Mm -hmm. If that education has been on point, then the kind of um, split between that should be navig navigatable. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't come out of somewhere and go, oh my goodness, there's the rest of the world. Where have I been for the last three, four, mm -hmm. one year, six months? Mm -hmm. So that's the first part. And that, that for me is about the agency. What a person who chooses to study with us might want to study. Is the place you're going to go and allow that bridge mm -hmm. not to be so brutal? So that's the first thing. When it comes to the industry, if you're walking back into life, the industry can be what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. What is that industry that we're talking about? It really depends if you're focused and very specific, and neither is right or wrong, on the, the lighting design and the um, 
the costume making, for example. But if you're going to work in, as I said, uh, care for elder persons or persons with dementia, what is that industry? The, the industry is defined by a very, very specific brief. And I always say to people, uh, particularly with work when I'm mentoring outside, do you want, which is a little bit like your philosophical, you can have a career or you can be an artist. One is forever. The other one, you needed to start that before you got into school. You need to get your names, your network, your agents. You needed to make your travels around the world and sit in conferences and try to understand if you are an artist, no matter what traveler you are, no matter which course you are choosing, whether you're a mathematician or an actor, a lighting technician or a teacher, which one are you? Are you on the life path of that? Which means you can take the flow. That is your industry. Or if you want a career. And where is it? You said very, very early on, you know, measuring it because of the Oscar that you got, measuring it because of the stage awards that you've been put up for, measuring it because of reviews or the audience. If that is your measurement, then you, there is no industry and no institution that can prepare you for that. Mm-hmm. there's no nothing but work that you do can prepare each other about how to be uh, receive what we would perceive as negative how to roll when you lose how to absorb that how to say okay I'm not going to be in this work for a year I'm going to do something else but I will always come back mm-hmm. another phrase that I always use is um, I think connected and it's not because I'm avoiding the question because if I can, I can make a list of all the challenges, but for every single person listening or experiencing this podcast, it's going to be different. But I think the thing is, um, and maybe that's where I look maybe on um, black history for myself, you know, because there are days when I'm fearful, I'm afraid, I ain't going to pretend, that's also part of it. But I also always ask myself and ask the students that I uh, mentor, what is your northern star? What is the thing that will hold you? No matter how far from home, whatever that might be, identity is home. What is the thing that will guide you? What is the point when you go, I'm so far away from it, but I still have it in sight. I still have it in place. I still have it in my heart. Your Northern Star, or in some instances, I said, what is your Rosa Parks moment where you will not get up? I'm staying here. Now, there are consequences, resonances, people will react to that statement, but I know what I mean. And so for me, navigating the industry is being clear about your northern star. The thing that brings you the deepest joy, the thing that makes you able to deal and handle, which is why your work is so important with your fear. Fear is life. It's life. We're just blessed that we happen to be in this area of the world and our work, that we have chances to navigate what is your northern star? The institution or the spaces that you inhabit must be a closer bridge to the life that you choose to lead. Those are the things I think are important for navigating this creative life. The rest will follow. And also that little bit, which is organisations like yourself, the institutions like mine can work closer with organisations like yourself, if we keep our alumni and our graduates close to our heart, then that bridge and that navigation will become easier. So that is my answer to obstacles. I can also write probably uh, a good thesis on the obstacles in the arts. 
But I think everyone experiencing this podcast will know on a personal level and on a political level what those challenges are. That bit is easy. How do we do it, though? How do we continue? It's my bigger question. Just that. You, you said, can I, can I just touch on something you, you said about um, Stephen Colby says we, we should start with the end in mind. And you, you talked a little bit about, um, and I talked about the Oscar or, or the award. You were obviously nominated as a performer wasn't you for a, an olivier award for a, a, your performance as rafiki which we haven't spoke about which we could probably talk about forever and ever um it but that would that would be one source of success but i'm assuming just by talking to you that that's not how you define your career in terms of success what what does success look like for you what what is your defining most successful moment do you think have you have you reached that yet what is your northern star this podcast <laughs> that's a defining moment for me <laughs> real people uh this this is a defining moment um I, ironically uh, i've just found out i've just received another award in stockholm sweden and uh i get more and more anxious at every award got nothing to do with me Awards are a recognition by some people about what they think you have done, set by other people's definitions of what needs to be recognized. For me, I win an Oscar every day because I see the people walking through the doors. For me, is watching people where the person in the space goes, I think I just found it. And I go, yeah, there it is. Oh my God, I said, you might never do it again. But I was there and I saw it. I saw you. I saw you do it. You remember that. We're going to hold on to that. So that's one part of it. Um, watching staff and colleagues in this moment with me, finding that they, that I believe in them. I believe in them. Uh, even the ones that give me a hard time. I believe in them. Um, that for me, and to watch half we had a staff meeting yesterday, it was a bit, a bit like a party, to be honest, where I was able to relay to them all the things that have been happening for them uh, so that they can deliver the best to our students. Um, that was a reward of a kind. I could just sneak off the side and watching them all communicate with each other, going, yeah, when, when they said this, when she said that, and I think I connect. One of the things was introducing definitely arts to Central, which is one of the most prestigious companies working in BSL, sign language, for deaf and hard of hearing uh, performers, technicians, etc. And they ended our staff meeting. And that was an award. Not for me. It was actually for Paula. She killed it. She held that space. Those teachers, staff, front of house, everybody in this institution just moved towards Paula. And I sat there and I thought, there it is. I see it. And now I can sneak out. The greatest reward will be leaving this institution, which I will do, and nobody notices. That's the point. They'll go... Hi, my name is, and I'm taking over from the last person, just like a good relay, shall we? And it goes on. Oh, my God, it's gone. What's, what are we going to do? Oh, no, 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 no. That's the way I win. And then other things is I'm back home. The greatest win 
And where I am in terms of my story, I got a chance to come home. I got a chance to come home, visit my mum's grave, make sure she's nice and tidy, meet family and community, reach out to people like yourself, travel the length and breadth of a country I love. Greatest reward, can't ask for more. So yeah, I'm winning every day. So our final segment then is a section of quick fire questions, which we round off the podcast with. And Mark, shall we start with your first quick fire question for Josette? Yeah, so these are the types of questions that our, our younger listeners think, you know, they ask us a lot and, and it's, we're getting a bit of industry insight. So the first question was, what is the piece of theatre that you you believe everybody should go out and see this year? Nope. Go and see everything. <laughs> okay. I love that. Go as, see everything. as much as you go, can. Go and see the stuff that you wouldn't see. Go to the small community centre. Go and see the school's production because your cousin is there or your niece is there or whatever go to those productions we've got a lot of stuff in london very nice thank you but we've got exactly the same brilliance across the country go and support your church your local theater your local school go and see that that is the best production running at this time i love that so much okay my question for you josette is as a performer yourself what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given Um, courage and always take the operatic route (laughs) thank you joseph do you do you miss perform do you perform still you do you miss yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely um and i think that's also what makes me um a mischievous principal and ceo i have a living career so i continue to direct um i'll be working um this summer at the King's Opera in Stockholm as a directing an opera, uh, Purcells, um, Midsummer Night's Dream, or The Fairy Queen. So I'm doing that. Um, I am also uh, the artistic director for the National Black Theatre of Sweden. So they've just got their grant and administrators are working in Stockholm at that. And again, I'm not paid for that. I do that completely on a voluntary basis. It's not a financial thing there. I am also uh, on different boards as well. So I have a real creative life. I'm at Hackney Empire, London at this point. I continue my patronage, Unity Theatre Liverpool. Um, I'm also board of trustees on University of London. I think in terms of my own career, I sing, continue to sing, uh, and we'll be doing a couple of secret concerts <laughs> over the next uh, months. Uh, yes, all the students will be invited. Yes, all the teachers will be there. And I think that's really, really important, not because I don't take my current job seriously or commit to it, but because I live in the work, I'm on the floor with the work. It means I have another conversation. I know what it's like to lose. I know what it's like to win. I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to um, also be in the aha moment. So, yeah, I've got an active, lively, vibrant uh, practicing career that keeps me alive to my institution. There, there was a something someone said it in, in lockdown to me, which is about do you worry to, to, to me? Do you worry about the arts? And obviously, we worried financially that we may lose lose the building and so on. I said, but to my my, my take on it was, I, you know, I'm a creative person. I'm a, I'm an artist. I said, and, and if COVID might take away you know the building or it might take away this, but it's ain't going to take away that. But ultimately, artists are, are artists no matter no matter what happens. There you go. That's it. That's our. That's our muscle, right? Mm. That's our beat. That's our heart. Uh-huh. Is that we can respond. And I think what COVID did is it threw us. 
I mean, again, I will speak very carefully about COVID because so much was lost. Lives were lost in COVID. So I'm very sensitive about that. But when it comes to the artist within that process, as we move from that or through that still, I think that's what was tested, mm. really. COVID took us to the edge of somewhere we thought we would never be, although we are living that all the time. It took us to the edge of something where some of the greatest plays, some of the greatest discourse is based on that same question. How are we living the lives that we live in? And that's what the arts met. Of all the people, I mean, I'm looking out my window here at the institution, watching them, you know, the person selling the cross on and students coming out and people chatting by the Hampstead Theatre. Everybody's lives have changed. Or were they just the same? But something made us experience it differently. And as artists, I think what threw us was that we were afraid that we couldn't respond. We couldn't. Why can't we? Why isn't the art changed? Why can't we do something here? And in fact, I think this is our time to be forged, to be tested. The greatest of arts, no matter where we are, the small child to the teacher, whatever it is, is this moment. It is the greatest moment I think we're in. And our final question, Josette, we ask this one to some of our students at the Arts Centre quite often as a, as a way to start the day now and again. The question is, if you could ask a question yourself to anybody from the past or present, who would you ask a question to? And also, what would that question be? If I could ask a question, it would be my mother. And I'd say, how did you do it, mum? That's who I'd ask. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Josette, for taking the time to speak to us today. It has been absolutely wonderful to chat to you. It's a great honour. Thank you. And look forward to continued conversations. Yeah, thank you, Josette. It's been, for me, as I say, someone who has been banging the drum. It's it's great to hear hear that, that um, or actually that, that someone will help you bang it a little louder. And I hope that the idea of this podcast, when we put it out, is that we just bang it a little bit louder. So thank you so much. Yeah, for and your also time. as well, remember, we always, we don't need to bang it anymore. Mm. We already hear each other. Yeah. yeah. We really do. Um, it's the rest of it that's convincing us that we don't hear each other or see each other or feel each other. We do. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to it very much. Brilliant. Thank, thank you. you so much.